Welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about water management. But as always, we'd be happy to discuss anything you've got going on in your farm. Our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD if you'd like to call in at any point during our show today. Again, that number is 844-442-4743. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. We're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag a little bit later in the show. Uh, to start things off today, yesterday we got a question in about turnips and radishes as a cover crop and how can you control weeds and turnips and radishes and I said boy I don't know of any herbicides but I'll do a little bit of homework and see if I can find anything other than the clethodim that we talked about yesterday that'd be just grass control yeah I don't know of any way you can legally kill broadleaves out of turnips and radishes with a herbicide so otherwise you're down to hand weeding and that's not a whole lot of fun now here's the good news if it's just for a cover crop, then does it really matter? Because in effect, a weed is a cover crop too. It's something growing out there that's going to hold the soil in place that will help hopefully uh, reduce any erosion issues you've got and maybe you'll have a better situation going into next year because this cover crop, now I would say this, if there are weeds in there, then you definitely want to make sure you're terminating those or clipping them. Maybe it's mowing them or whatever before they're going to seed. Otherwise, you got more weed seed to deal with in the future. But you know what? Herbicides aren't that expensive either for most of the crops we deal with. So I just don't know that I get that worried about it. All right. In terms of water management, to start things out, I, I want you to think about not just water management, but I want you to think about air management. We're going to talk about that throughout the show today. But every crop, every plant, if it's going to have maximum root growth, which is what you want, you have to have air in the soil. The ideal soil composition is said to be roughly 50% soil. Now of that, about 90% would be actual dirt and another 10% would be on the organic side or organic matter side. And I'm not saying 10% organic matter. I'm saying 5% organic matter because 10% of 50 is 5. But anyway, so after we go through the math, math lesson there, we'll talk about the other half of what you want in your soil, 25% water, 25% air. 25% water in most soils is roughly field capacity. But you got to have air. If you don't, you got a real problem. So let's say that you got 50% soil and 50% water. What happens is that means that your water table is high and all the air is gone. So now everything that needs air to live is going to die. That includes a lot of your beneficial microbes and it includes all plant roots. I mean all plant roots. That's a real problem. So what ends up happening a lot of times in areas where we see high water tables for short periods. For example, where we farm in South Dakota. A lot of people, when I tell them, yeah, we get 22, maybe 24 inches of total annual precipitation on average, they go, whoa, why would you ever need tile? Well, look, we don't need it in every area of every field, 
But through all the low grounds, we do because the water table gets high. We have heavy soil, high water tables. We just want to keep that water table down below the root zone. Let's say even at three feet, we put a lot of our tie lines in at three feet. But here's the point. The reason why we want that water table down at all times of the year is because we want to keep all our beneficial microbes not just living, but thriving, reproducing, and growing. And then the other side of it is when we plant the crop, a lot of times we have high water tables right then and only for a short period. But I want that water table down to three feet because I want my roots to go down to three feet, and they will very shortly. I mean, in just a few weeks after planting, you may have roots clear down to three feet if you have compaction reduced and you have air in that soil down to three feet. So what happens if you don't? Let's say that you've got that high water table. Now the roots will grow down just to the water table, and then they're either going to do one of two things. They're either going to die or they're going to go sideways. And in both cases, that does not help you most years and especially in a drought year. So take this year, for example. We had almost no rain throughout most of the growing season. However, we have heavy soil. And there is some moisture down in the ground at 2 feet, 3 feet, 4 feet, 5 feet. We have roots that have gone down to that level. But if we didn't have water management and air management in our soil, and let's say we had a high water table, well, those roots wouldn't get deep. I go back to 2012. That was the last time we had a serious drought issue. They claimed that 2012 was the worst drought we'd had since 1937. Well, here's the point. We went three months with almost no rain. We still ended up with pretty good yields in a lot of fields. And where were our best yields? Right over the tie lines. Why? Because the roots were able to get deeper faster. And basically, let's put it this way, we had more air in that soil and the appropriate amount of air in that soil above or near the tile lines so the roots could get deep early. Now, there's a lot of mis there are a lot of misconceptions about tile. Number one, people think, oh, tile's going to flood you out, flood others out downstream. No possible way that happens. Not in the long term, no way. Here's why. Because when you put tile in, then the only way you pay for that tile is with yield gain. Well, let's say I have 200 bushel corn versus 100 bushel corn. Which one uses more water? You stop and think about it for a second and you go, whoa, wait a second. That 200 bushel corn is going to use twice as much water. Yes, it is. Okay, long term, you're going to have less water going downstream, not more. And also, even if you don't put tile on the ground, water is moving below ground. So water is constantly going downhill. So I'm just trying to say the water's getting to the neighbor one way or the other. Either they see it or they don't. When you put tile lines in, sometimes they see it. But my point here is there's going to be less water moving to the neighbor and moving downstream. So the flooding issue, no way. In terms of the environment and all that, a lot of people talk about nitrates. Sure, there's some nitrates in the water, but there's nitrate in all water. What, they, what the studies have found is there's a lot, there are a lot fewer nutrients moving downstream when you tile versus when you don't. Because number one, we have lots less erosion. Number two, we have higher yields. Anyway, we're going to talk about water management throughout the show today. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with a Bayer Plus Rewards program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards. And that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. 
See program terms and conditions for full details. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Talking about water management on the show today and taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's head down to Kansas State to start this out. We've got Deanne Presley with us, and we're really excited to have this conversation. Deanne, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for asking. All right, so water management, I would guess when that topic comes up in Kansas, a lot of folks are thinking, oh, yes, we need more water a lot of years down here because it can get hot and dry. But but we also get excesses sometimes, too. Uh, what are the big hot topics in Kansas when it comes to water management? Well, you know, so a lot of people are, um, we have a lot of irrigation, so it depends where you are in the state, and that's that's true of pretty much all the states in our tier, right? So a huge precip gradient across the state. And of course, in my state, we're hot in the south and colder in the in the north. So in some places, we have a lot of drip irrigation going in. That's become a really hot topic. People are really excited about that for conserving water and also just being able to irrigate places that they haven't been able to irrigate before. Yeah. That's probably the number one thing. Yeah, there are definitely some pros and cons. And I, I know we... we um... Well, it's very evident when as you fly over some of these agricultural areas with center pivot irrigation, boy, the the circle looks great, but there's a lot of land on the outside that's not getting touched where drip tape, you got the opportunity to, to get every corner of that field. When when you look at growers, how much more efficient are they with the drip tape? Well, they can definitely use less water. And that's, it can be a precious resource. So for anybody with either a shallow well or kind of a limited well, that's the early adopters, the people that just don't have the water supply that people with some of those thicker, saturated thicknesses are going to have. So it's usually the people that either have a regular shaped fields or just don't have a great water supply, but yet, you know, want to capture the most yield that they can. Now, some of the soil tests that we get from growers in Kansas are looking at saline or sodic type soils. Is that a big issue oh, yes. in your state? 
<laughs> it definitely is. And that's actually something that I've been wanting to do some more research on. So we're curious, as aquifer thickness declines, are we going to start to see the saturated or the, the soluble salts go up? We think so, um, just because you start to maybe have some encroachment or, you know, intrusion of sodic water or saline water that might come into that aquifer. And also, I've just gotten some questions. And so that's what caused it. It's just through extension questions over the past few years. You know, I'll get one or two here and one or two there. And it's like, what's going on? So it is a topic that people are curious about. And that's not just with the irrigated. That's just, that could be anywhere. People seeing... Uh, I think maybe especially in no-till because people aren't doing tillage to disrupt that. Maybe they're just starting to notice the spots that they haven't seen before. And so then that question will come in with, well, how much water and how much gypsum do we need to apply to correct this problem? So it is something that we, we definitely get questions about. Yeah, there there are a lot of different situations out there. And I, I know sometimes we'll we'll have farmers give us some feedback. Oh man, yeah, that saline area, that's that's not a big deal. It's only a few acres here and there on my farm, but those acres can often grow and the problem doesn't get better on its own. It it needs some sort of remediation to to turn it around and start heading the other way. Uh back to the irrigation uh comments that you're making earlier when you look at years like this uh, obviously the guys who have irrigation are pretty excited about it when you get a hot year is that growing in your state or as you mentioned some of the aquifers may not be as good as they once were is there are there limits right now on irrigation and and if so where where are you seeing those things and how are they making those judgments well, as far as new irrigation wells, there uh, most of the state is closed for, well, not most. Some, there are portions of the state that are closed for new appropriations for, you know, an uh, irrigation well. So people couldn't put a new one in if they wanted to. And anywhere in the state, you can still put in a domestic well for a household or something. But um, and there's parts of the state where you just can't have a new well. So people are, you know, working on old wells or trying to, um, you know, um, change how their water right is used maybe so that's not an area that I'm so much of an expert on but um, it is a it's a big subject as people's wells are declining um, we do have people also in other parts of our state in northeast Kansas and southeast Kansas looking at doing um, you know tile drainage projects so tile pattern tile drainage which I mean I'm from north central Iowa originally so I mean I just grew up with pattern tile drainage but here in Kansas it's not quite as common but people are you know the people that do get like 36 to 45 inches of rain and parts are looking at that as you know being able to really manage water a little bit better too so it's a really interesting state to work in for the amount yeah. of different kinds of questions that happen or that no, come up over the year. No doubt about it. And water is so important in crop production. Uh, we're talking with Deanne Presley down at Kansas State University. Deanne, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today. Thank you. Bye. Let's head up uh, north of the border. Got Jason with us. He's farming up in Alberta right now. And, and Jason, Deanne was just kind of opening up the, the book here on tile drainage. I know that's something you've been really working hard on up in Alberta to to get some rule changes and, and some common sense farm information uh, to some of these governmental officials. Uh, Jason, thanks for joining us. Yeah, you bet, Darren. All right. So where are you at in the project? Are you, are you getting good take or, or are you running into a lot of opposition? Well, I think for, for the most part, you know, 
uh, a few years ago, there was some legislation passed in the province to uh, kind of restrict the farmer's ability to, to manage water on the farm. And that uh, does cover, you know, any sort of drainage projects. And, you know, so that's a lot of what um, guys are looking at as far as being able to, to do some water management on their own farm and, and um, not get into, into trouble by, by doing it. And, uh, you know, so whether that in, is you know, trying to get something like tile drainage going or even some surface drainage, uh, I know this year it's a total opposite situation of, of what we had experienced the last couple of years where we were dealing with excess water and, and that kind of thing. But, you know, this year we're about a third of our normal precipitation. So we, you know, typically get about 12 inches of rain and we're less than four inches this year. So it's probably on the uh, the least concern of, of guys right now is trying to deal with a lot of extra water and and maybe looking at more of the irrigation uh, um, projects. I know the province was, uh, uh, you know, doing a lot more work, especially in southern Alberta, to uh, open up more irrigation opportunities for, for guys to uh, to be able to get water onto onto some land that's, that's usually not uh, very well... Uh, farmed or not farmed because of you know lack of water but yeah that's our our whole situation across the province this year we're we're in pretty uh pretty skimpy crops as far as um, being able to grow anything this year so jason we farm in south dakota here in the united states and so we're obviously not as familiar with the laws and rules up in canada as you are so i'm just curious you made the comment about opening up the possibility for irrigation if let's say i wanted to put up a center pivot on my farm where you're at in alberta what does a person have to go through to get that done yeah for sure so there are a number of irrigation districts in the uh, uh in the province mostly in southern alberta and to so to be uh part of that um uh, irrigation uh, co-op it's uh, it's a matter of being able to buy the water rights and um, and then pay for pay for access to that water um, I know even up here in northern Alberta uh, when we were going through the heat and uh, and lack of rainfall this year I, I was uh, one of my uh, guys that I kind of um, work with a little bit he was doing some of his own irrigation out of uh, dugout ponds. And sure. so he was um, just going from pond to pond and, and, and taking whatever water he had and, and getting it onto the field. So he was able to, to do quite a bit of that. It was a lot of work doing, uh, <laughs> yeah. moving the irrigation gun from, from field to field and up and down the field, but it definitely paid off on, you know, an extra 10 or 15 bushels of canola. And, uh, when he did that, so, but as far as, uh, yeah, the regulations again. It's uh, it's part of part of being the uh, the water co-op and then having access to sure. uh, to those water rights. All right. Well, hey, Jason, it's been great talking to you today. Really appreciate the insight on what's going on up there. Thanks a lot, and uh, hope you have a successful fall here. You bet. Thanks a lot. Yep. Thank you. All right. Stay tuned. We'll continue talking about water management right after this. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. 
My name is Kim. I'm a farmer and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. Each year brings new and unique challenges to farming, and your operation needs to constantly adapt to meet them. That's why at AgBiome, we're working every day to bring you new and better solutions, microbial-based solutions that protect your crop and help it reach its full potential. To learn more about how we're doing it, visit agbiome.com. That's A-G-B-I-O-M-E.com. AgBiome, feeding the world responsibly, partnering with microbes for human benefit. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from Farm Shop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit FarmShopMFG.com for more. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's a secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio just talking water management today. But if you've got any questions about anything that's happening on your farm, we would love to talk to you about that. The number is 844-44-AG-PHD. So we're going to go to the phone lines right now. Gary from Saskatchewan's got a question for us about potassium. Gary, how are you doing today? Doing well. Excellent. I actually changed my mind when I heard you're talking about water. I'll give you a water question instead. <laughs> well, we're ready for any question you've got, agronomically oh, no. come speaking. On. Come anyway. on, Gary. You want to talk about water and potassium with Brian? That's going to take the whole show. We all know it. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> all right. So what do you got first? Um, question about tiling. We've yep. done a lot in the last few years. Okay. Uh, came out of a 15-year super wet cycle, and uh, the day we started tiling, I don't think it's rained since. <laughs> um, if you had limited dollars to spend, would you keep putting tile in the ground knowing that the rains are going to re- resume someday? Well, you, you said the key words, limited dollars to spend. Now, 
I'll just say, like for Darren and me, we've been farming for a long time. We own most of the ground that we farm. And so we're in a little bit different financial position than we were 30 years ago, 25 years ago, and we just got going. So back then, we were much more conservative on things just because, I mean, you got to continue farming from year to year. That's my point. If you go bankrupt, it doesn't matter what happens long term with the ground for you anyway. So I'm just trying to say, yeah, we got to we all as farmers have to be careful about the money we're spending so we don't overspend. But the flip side of that is if we have dry years, tiling is so much fun and easy and then you get it done. Nobody's complaining about anything because they're like, yeah, fool, go put in your tile. Who cares? But then when the wet years come, well, then we got her all done and then we really reap the reward. So I can just tell you on our farm, even though we've had a couple years of dry now, oh man, we are still putting tile in where we have tile to put in yet. So that that's how I feel about that. But like I say, if you have limited dollars and you go, boy, I don't know, I got to at least make it through the next couple of years. Well, sure. I mean, then just uh, set that aside and work on it later. Okay. Before I let you go, I just want to mention our harvest crew here. I got our good neighbor, Dave, that takes his holidays from his full-time job, if you can believe it, <laughs> to come work on the farm here. He's yep. a top-notch combine operator, and we're thrilled to have him every year. Nice. Got my son that's 13. Uh, he's driving the grain cart and our Super B grain hauler since he's seven years old. Best garden operator I've ever run across. <laughs> Smart as can be and very capable. <laughs> awesome. And and I got my 78-year-old dad on the other combine, and he is the smartest farmer I've ever worked with. Proud as can be of him. I think we got the best darn crew going here. Well, that's fantastic. It's great to hear that harvest is going well. Hey, uh, before we let you go, though, you, you had a question about potassium. Was there something that we can help you with there? Sure. Um, so you know what prices have done on potassium fertilizer. <laughs> I do. And... So knowing that... So you're paying those prices in Saskatchewan too, Gary. We were thinking it was just us that was getting the short end of the stick on that. <laughs> oh, no, it's moving up here too. Uh, so thankful I've listened to you guys and put a lot on in past years when it was looking yep. pretty affordable as we speak today. Yeah. Uh, going forward, do you, your gut feeling, do you think this is just a blip on the radar and maybe tone it down for application for a year or two till things settle back down or... Or this is a new reality going forward. Okay, now you're asking two fantastic questions. One, what's going to happen long term with the price? And my opinion there is it's going to follow commodity prices. So when commodity prices go back down, it's not a question of if, it's a question of when, uh, then they're going to follow. Now, commodity prices at some point will also go higher than they are today. And when they do, then expect potassium to go that way as well. But right now, there are a lot of logistical issues that are happening and you know, we still have this COVID thing that the world's fighting. So that's a part of what's happening. But a lot of it has to do with the fact that commodity prices are basically double what they were at this point a year ago. So that's a big reason why fertilizer prices are higher. Now, the more important question is, 
basically, can you make money applying potassium today? And so that's why we've been talking a lot here over the last couple of years, really, about trying as much as you can to match up your GPS soil test points to yield. And then you chart that all out and see, okay, which particular nutrients are really making you money and which ones aren't. The ones that are making you money, well, I hate to cut back on that, but I will say this, like with potassium and phosphorus, they're going to stay in a good heavy soil like you got. And so if you have put on more than what you needed in the past, you've been in a build program, could you pull some out of that? Absolutely you could. There are also things you can do like in row crops. We do a lot of banding, and that works fine for at least the short term that we can get by on a little bit less fertilizer for right now. So, yeah, there are a lot of those kind of strategies that are going in. But let's also not forget commodity prices are way higher than they were just a year ago. So it's all to some degree relative. So I'm all in favor of cutting things that don't make money, but with potassium and knowing you know our calls in the past when you've called in and talking about your low potassium thing it's going to be hard for me to tell you to cut very much but at least cutting a, a huge build program sure i mean you can go back to all right well let's wait for a year or two and when it gets cheap again we'll get on a much bigger build program but don't be cutting potassium too far because it usually is going to pay in the situations like you have where you got low base saturation k gotcha all right. Thanks for that. Have a good rest of your day. You bet. You too. Thanks for calling in, Gary. Appreciate it. Let's head over to Illinois. We've got Jeremy Miners on with us right now with Agrim to talk a little more about the water management topic. Jeremy, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, great to be on with you and uh, you guys again. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. I, I think so many things, when we talk about water management in the soil that it comes down to, Brian talked a little bit about maximizing root growth and about having oxygen in the soil. I think this all comes back to soil health. It's just an important topic when it comes to soil health. With Agrum today, where where do you position water management and, and how do you start that discussion? Well, uh, well, that's a great question. So water management is really the focus that we are at here at Agrum. And we look at a field as, I mean, every field's unique. Everyone has its own complex issues. And in the, in the case of uh, having low areas or potholes, as, as you're mentioning, those have to be factored in. So when you, when you look at the field, you have to look at it entirely. You have to consider not only the desire for, uh, you know, tile drainage, but also the risks of water pooling in particular locations where you might need uh, some method of like a post riser or uh, some type of method to relieve that pooled water from the surface. But then also you have to consider, you know, what, what type of soil erosion issues you may be facing if you get extreme rains. So, I mean, from the, the water management aspect, uh, you know, maintaining that soil health, absolutely, you have to do that. But what steps do you actually have to take in order to get there? That's really our focus. Yeah, that's that's a great idea. And you have to look at the big picture when you're doing this kind of work because we expect these kind of improvements on the farm to work for not just the next few years, but the next few generations. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and and, and on that point, uh, you know, we've, we've had a number of folks think that, well, there, there's this one type of solution, say, putting in uh, pattern tile systems, particularly in your, your low areas, and that it's going to just have an immediate effect or that next year everything's going to be better. But these types of situations not only last a very long time, but they also take time 
in order to have the true effect occur. So in the tiling industry, I'm sure you guys have heard this, the, uh, the first year is the worst year. So if you have those low areas like uh, you guys were discussing at the beginning of the program that have had years and years of water sitting on it, that's generated that compaction layer. And that compaction layer, it takes time to heal. And so once that tile is put in, yeah, you're seeing the, the crop better right over those tile lines. But over time, as you're being able to remove that water progressively, uh, it gets better and better each year. So, I mean, it's a long-term process, and that, that is absolutely the way to think about it. I look at it like this, Jeremy. I think of your farm as a basketball team, and you just drafted a first-round draft pick named Michael Jordan. And you know what? Yeah, it's not going to turn around immediately today, but positive things are going to happen. It's going to start getting better all the time. It's a great investment. Uh, talking with Jeremy Miners here with Agrim. Jeremy, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on again. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more Ag PhD Radio. What's new from New Farm? Longbow EC Herbicide, the latest in our portfolio of versatile weed management tools, gives you another Carfentrazone option, taking aim at more than 60 broadleaf weed species. And did we mention economical? Longbow EC's low use rate makes it a flexible tank mix partner with most burned down non-selective herbicides. Ask your dealer for Longbow EC, available for fall. Fill once, plant all day. The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. When it comes to harvest, every kernel counts. And nothing captures more kernels than the new Drago GT or the proven Drago Series 2 corn heads. Both have automatic self-adjusting deck plates, and the new Drago GT features quad suspension deck plate ear shocks for even greater harvest efficiency. Nothing in the field captures more yield. For more information on Drago corn heads, go to dragotech.com. That's dragotec.com. When it comes to weed control, our cards have always been on the table because we believe you deserve near zero volatility, flexible tank mixing, and a wide application window. That's the Enlist Weed Control System, just better, with no ifs, ands, or buts. Discover better weed control. Enlist.com, Enlist.com. Ag PhD has one mission, give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. 
Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here, along with my brother Darren. We're broadcasting today from the Morton studio. We've been talking about water management throughout the show, and I had mentioned earlier about the misconceptions that there often are with tile. So, so this here, is a great opportunity. If you've got questions about this, about drainage on your farm or just in general, today's a great day to ask those. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. Okay, so let me first say we often talk a lot about tile and the removal of excess water because that can hurt really bad in our region of the country. But there's the flip side and the irrigation end of things, and we do encourage you to check out some of these new irrigation technologies. There are a lot of things being done, so water usage can be reduced, and certainly you can put nutrients in a lot of these water sources with irrigation, so it's awesome. There are a lot of precision ag things that go along with that too, so... I, I don't want to minimize that at all. It's fantastic. Things are so much better. There are a lot of companies working on this. And like for Darren and myself, we went to South Dakota State University. They actually have the first precision ag degree in the country. And they just opened up this great big new awesome building for ag students uh, working on precision ag. It's it's incredible. But the irrigation side is going way more toward that technology. It is certainly not old school. So if you haven't been looking at that and looking at overall water use, nutrient use, and doing it in a precision way, I would really highly encourage you to do that because it's incredible and it can make you more money if you are irrigating now and you switch over to some of these things. So obviously you got to be careful about what you spend and all that. I get that. But just look at the alternatives that you have now. It's it's pretty fantastic. Okay, coming back to the drainage side, the tile drainage side. And again, this isn't just about water. It's about making sure we have enough air in that soil. That is really, really important. What I encourage you to do is this. Please read the Environmental Benefits of Tile Drainage. Uh, it's by Heather Fraser and Ron Fleming. Again, I'll, I'll say that one more time. You can just do a quick Google search on this. Just do a, a search for Environmental Benefits of Tile Drainage. You do that, you will find this, this article that they've got. They published quite a few years ago now. Uh, it's a summary of, I believe, 86 different studies that have been done primarily by universities, but over the last decades. So there's a lot of work, a lot of research done about tile drainage, and I appreciate the fact that they say environmental benefits of tile drainage, not downfall. When tiling is done right, it can be one of the very best things you can possibly do for the environment. So here are the five main points that I will always talk to people about with tile. It reduces erosion. It reduces flooding. It improves downstream water quality. doesn't make it worse. It improves it. It also improves roads. And it helps farmers maximize production on current farmland, meaning non-cropland can be kept for other uses such as hunting and recreation. So those are my five key points. And if you just read that, 
article, Environmental Benefits of Tile Drainage, you will see all these different proven studies showing exactly what I just said. Tiling reduces erosion and flooding, improves, it, improves the water and roads, and helps farmers maximize production on the current ground so we can leave other ground for all these other uses. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, all right, Brian. Lots of uh, drying questions going on here with harvest, and Aaron has some bin fan control uh, questions. He said, first of all, uh, I've got a question on bin fan EMC settings. We recently had automatic bin fan controls installed, and the user sets the upper and lower limits. We'll only be drying wheat. My initial thought is to set the upper and lower at 14 and 13, so I get somewhere in between there. But I think that might narrow up the runtime window too much. Is there a better way to set these through the course of drying or hydrating, or is this something that's going to be trial and error? Well, yes, it's trial and error. Just like most things on the farm, they're trial and error. But here's the good news. A lot of people have tried them and made mistakes. And so what I would do is talk to the company you got the bin fan controls from. They can tell you about how to operate it best. And they can also give you names of other people who are currently operating the systems and they'll tell you where they've had the best success. So I'd rather you do it that way than me try to give you any advice on a system that I'm not sure, quite frankly, which system you're running and if we would have that one or not. All right. Uh, thanks for the, the question. And yeah, if you if you can't find any any answers, uh, our friend Tony at Farm Shop MFG is a, a pretty good knowledgeable source on a lot of the bin fan controls in the industry. You can check with Tony as well, uh, farmshopmfg.com. Yeah, and I, I will say too, I hate to give you no answer on things. Yes, that might be a little bit tight and you might want to widen that just a little bit, but... It, it, I, I just have found that there's nothing in life where when somebody tells me, oh, just do exactly this and it'll come out exactly this way, that that happens 100% of the time. So it just seems like every technology is really good, but it's not going to be absolutely perfect because think about it. Every grain kernel that you've got is slightly different than the next, and you're trying to manage all those millions of kernels in your bin so i just always feel like hey we're doing the best we can we're getting it really close and that's good enough i ran our our corn grain dryers on our fall on our farm for 20 years in a row and we ran lots of bushels through every single year and i felt like i could do a pretty good job but boy having these bin fan controls makes it really nice because now like for me i had only a few hours to make everything good whereas with the bin fan controls you're constantly well the the controls are constantly changing and adjusting to that and you need that if you're going to go into the winter and then come out of the winter because there's condensation, there's sunlight hitting the bin, there are issues that you've got with cold air, warm air. So having the controls is great. But yeah, just just talk to the company you got the, the product from. All right, our next question comes from Brandon, and he is in central Minnesota. He said, guys, last year we applied 710 pounds per acre of potash to build our base saturation K up to 4%. Okay. 
First of all, good move, Brandon, because potash prices went up a lot. Yep. Okay, he said, next, uh, I see that our manganese levels are really low, averaging six parts per million. I'm wondering if I would if I added 68 pounds of actual manganese to get us up to that 40 part per million level, if that would be worth it in the long term. Uh, we are averaging 235 bushel corn, 80 bushel beans, CEC around 25. Just curious what you see. Hey, Brandon, I noticed your soil ph the where the ph is low the manganese levels are higher on a dtpa extraction test that's exactly what we saw on our farm we had a lot of parts they're not of that, that were fairly low like that yeah but they're not that great either so even when he's got a 6.3 for example on soil ph yeah, he's got seven into, and eight parts per yeah, million you get up to here's, 10 to 14 okay. in some of those but here but yes here's where we're going with this we don't really trust that dtpa test on manganese very well we'd like you to pull at least in a couple spots pull a manganese test pull. with a malic three so or do a manganese test with a malic 3. So take a high pH spot and take a low pH spot. But it does appear that no matter whether your your pH is high or low, your manganese is low. So would I put some manganese out there? Yes. Is 68 pounds the right number? That much I don't know. But I do know we you need a lot of manganese. I'll also say, though, you got other things to work on too. Phosphorus, for the most part, I mean, you've got, well, I should say, you have some single-digit phosphorus levels you've got some copper a lot of copper that's below one part per million and we'd like to see that at least a couple parts per million you got zinc levels that are one or two parts per million and in many cases we might want to see that three five seven something like that depending on how high your phosphorus is so if boron is low down in you know like half a part per million so there are a lot of other things to work on too but would the addition of some manganese help it probably would yes all right, thanks for the questions. We appreciate that. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of soil tests pulled here this fall, and pulling the right test is going to be important. So normally we're seeing a lot of 0 to 6-inch soil tests. We really like to see complete tests, and as Brian mentioned on the manganese one, not so confident in that DTP extraction method. We're going to be looking at a lot of malic tests on our own farm for that. We'll get back to more of your calls and questions right after this. Stay tuned. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of burndown. 
New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds. Even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown. Fill once, plant all day. The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. Back to listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time. That means you can call in at 844-44-AG-PHD. Or, like Sam down in Kansas just did, you can email us, radio at agphd.com. And, and Sam's got a good one. He says, how do you guys convince yourself not to run the combine when your corn moisture is too high, but you see your neighbors out there harvesting? And to make it worse, he gives you a giant thumbs up each time he passes you while you watch. Because, of course, I'm just kidding. Keep up the great work. Corn harvest just a week or so away in our area. Hey, Sam, I will say this. On our farm, we've rarely focused on what everybody else is doing because we are just so busy with what we're doing. And that's something that our dad tried to impress upon us when we were young, that it doesn't matter what else is going on. What does matter is what you have on your farm and the things you control. So I just stay busy with other things. But you bring up this corn moisture thing, and that's something that I don't think we talk about enough. We do encourage people that have their own drying setups like we do to harvest the grain just a little bit wetter. I know that the tendency years ago was, hey, let's let it dry down to 17% so we don't have a whole lot of drying cost. We can maybe just air dry it, whatever. Well, number one, you can air dry it with higher moistures now, thanks to bin fan controls. But even without that, we see so much harvest loss when grain gets dry that we just don't like grain getting down to 17% or maybe 15 Now, part of the reason why I'm bringing this up right now is this. In our region of the country, here in the Dakotas, Minnesota, Iowa, Nebraska, we've got a lot of drought-stressed corn in areas and fields. Last fall, we had the same type of thing, and last fall was the first year ever where I told our guys on our farm, guys, I know this is going to stink, 
but we're going to go out and harvest parts of fields. Just like we've done in the past sometimes with soybeans, we want to go out and get those dry spots, those hilltops, those sandy areas. Go get them. You can see them visually. Just go get them. And I know you're going to have to go through a little bit of real wet corn to get there maybe. And I know this is going to be a pain and extra work and you now have to go to every field twice, but so what? I'm so thankful we did that because we had no corn that ended up on the ground. Nothing fell over. We harvested most everything at what we feel is the ideal range, somewhere in that 20 to 24 percent moisture. So I, I, I realize if you don't have a drying setup, you might say, hey, I, I got to wait and let it get a little drier because it's just too expensive to dry. But if you're going to be, uh, well, I would just say this. We have about 2,000 acres of corn every year in our farm. And that drying setup that we got years ago has paid itself many, 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 many times over. It's been amazing. And then we can get our harvest done earlier, too, when we start harvesting a little bit wetter, which allows us to get a lot more work done in the fall, including fertilization, well, along with soil tests first, then fertilization, tillage, anything else that we need to get done, tiling. So it's really, really been helpful to harvest grain just a little bit wetter than we used to. All right. Thanks for the feedback. Uh, got this one in from Mark. He said, uh, just curious if you know about the Next Level Farming show. Mickey was applying the Proven product from Pivot Bio. Just wondering where he was doing that. Well, he was doing that in furrow, by the way, Mark. Uh, and he said, also just wondering if there is going to be another season of Next Level Farming. Yes, there is. It's going to start, I believe, October 7th. So you can check out uh, RFD TV for more details on that. Thanks. Really appreciate the, the questions. Thanks for your support there, too. Uh, got another one here from Don. He said, you guys are talking about quack grass. And he goes, it's just terrible in lawns. You can dig it out. You can sift through the dirt trying to get every little piece of root. But if you miss one inch of that root system, it starts all over. So you might just have to bite the bullet. Kill the whole lawn, reseed, and hope you take care of it better next time. But he said fertilizing lawn really helps keep it thick and gives less chance for these weeds to get started. Hey, totally agree with you on that one, Don. I think fertilizing lawns or pastures a lot of times gets everybody's looking for the quick fix of give me a herbicide recommendation that can kill what I got out there right now. And I do understand that. But you're right. we got to do a good job taking care of things and have good aggressive growth. Yeah, but there are some things that you could use to at least ding it up. So I, I know uh, sulfosulfuron is one of the active ingredients that has decent activity on, on grasses like quackgrass. It's not the greatest, but it's, it's not too bad. And so it is something to at least check out. I would also say we've had a lot of people using even just, well, the active ingredient Callisto, mesotrione and there are so there are products labeled for turf with mesotrione and that will ding up your quack grass a little bit and crab grass and things like that so again not saying that either of these things is perfect but they are at least herbicides you could try because we've had to do that before too where we kill the whole lawn because of quack grass roundup years ago and it stinks because then you know you gotta work up the lawn after that reseed it pack it uh, water it, cover it, well, we cover it with straw, we water it, and you have to keep it wet for seven straight days, and then you actually have a pretty good stand of grass, but that's a lot of work. It's a lot easier to just go spray a herbicide for 10 bucks and have it over with. 
Yep, certainly understand that. Hey, thanks for the question. Really appreciate or the comments, I should say. Really appreciate that, Don. Get this one from Jason down in Texas. He said, this will be my first year doing strip tillage on my farm, and I want to apply phosphate and potassium along with some micros in the fall. Yep. My question is, I've got heavy clay soils. My pH is 7.5 to 7.8. I'm just wondering, will I lose any of my potassium applying it that far ahead of when I'm going to grow a crop? I would seriously doubt it. Phosphorus, no possible chance you're losing it. And potassium, did you say CEC? Didn't have the CEC, right. you just said heavy clay. So. Heavy clay. Yeah, so <laughs> Darren and I were talking about this this morning. We really like the cation exchange capacity test because now we know exactly what we're talking about. Because some people will say it's heavy, and we find out, oh, it's an 8 CEC. They only called it heavy because their light stuff is a 3. So anyway... Assuming that you've got a anything really over a 10 or 15 cation exchange capacity, that potassium is for sure staying there at least for the coming season. So you're, you're going to be in good shape. Nope, I don't have any issues. Put it out there in the fall. All right, thanks for the question. Got this one from Chris up in North Dakota. He said, just a thought. I hear on your show, uh, spray this, spray that, get a 5 or 10% yield increase and prevent pests from decreasing your yields. But I'm wondering, what about beehives near canola, soybeans, sunflowers? I've heard studies where they could increase yields 10, 20, 30%. One recent study down in Mississippi showed a 30% increase in soybean yields with hives near the field. Could that override the smaller increases by spraying some of these pests and just avoid the sprays and protect native bees along with managed bees. I think farmers don't really realize the benefit they could have with hives near their fields during bloom. Okay, so first of all, yes, it is very possible that yields could be increased with bees. But now either you've got to work with a beekeeper or become a beekeeper to do that. And so that's where a lot of farmers go, yeah, I don't know if I want to get into that. But if you do, that's awesome. And I wouldn't say, well, let's just let all the weeds go and not fertilize and not spend any money on the crop. How about we do both? Let's get let's gain both. The only thing we really have to worry about is some of the post-emerge applications of certain insecticides. And there are some products that could be used that are safe for bees. So I, I, I'm just saying you can still do probably 95% of what you want to do on the farm in, in terms of regular management just making a little bit of change in that insecticide end and then you could also have the bees out there and that might be your best way to gain lots of profitability all right thanks for the for the feedback really appreciate that this one comes from jeff uh in ohio and jeff said guys we put a three-way grass mixture out there timothy orchard and brome grass with a nurse crop of oats and unfortunately, we had some weeds come through. We had poor grass establishment with the dry year. We basically didn't see the Timothy or the brome grass yet, but the orchard grass has established reasonably well. We're expecting we'll get the other two grasses to come in the spring. Well, in the meantime, we had some broadleaf weeds. We sprayed 2,4-D after the second cutting, trying to clean it up, and it was moderately effective. Is there anything I could spray to try and clean these weeds up? Could we use a dormant use of prowl or are we best off just trying again with 240 um yeah i so without looking at the label on those specific grasses yes the dormant use of prowl would probably work but if we're talking about 
broadleaf weeds, then 2,4-D is going to be way better than the Prowl. It's most likely just a rate-sensitive deal. So you might just have to bump that rate of 2,4-D. I'd also say make sure you're using the new 2,4-D, the new Freelix. The control won't be any better, but you won't have the volatility or drift issues of the old 2,4-D, and it only costs just a little bit more. Hey, Jeff, also uh, fertilizing, getting that crop to establish really thick. That will help you long-term as well. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.